Well, freedom of speech and freedom of conscience is very much under attack in Scotland today. Police Scotland have stated that they will investigate not only um, hate crimes, which of course they should, but hate incidents. And they define an incident as any incident that is not a criminal offense, but something which is perceived by the victim or any other person to be motivated by hate or prejudice. And if you pause to think about that definition, it is scarily subjective, isn't it? You could look at someone the wrong way. And if they've got a slightly different skin color to you and they're so minded, they could report you as engaging in a hate incident. I feel sorry for the police. Uh, they've got a tough enough job trying to actually um, investigate actual crimes, let alone incidents. Last September, uh, the Scottish Government and Police Scotland put up posters around the country seeking to address hate crime. Here's one of them. Dear Bigot, you can't spread your religious hatred here. End of sermon, yours, Scotland. Now, at one level, I read this poster and I knew that it didn't apply to me. I'm not a bigot and I don't hate people because they're different to me. And yet this was quite a disturbing and sinister poster campaign because it seemed to infer that if you were religious, and actually if you were specifically Christian, if you look at the wording of sermon and the way they've kind of chosen a sort of a King James type font, that you're being stereotyped as being a hateful bigot. Uh, Gordon Lindhurst, uh, one of our members who's an MSP, he wrote to the government he received a letter in January from Eileen Campbell, the Scottish Cabinet Secretary for Communities, stating that the Scottish government would not be reusing these posters that implied that Christian belief amounted to hate. There's clearly no place for Christians to be engaged in hating others. After all, Jesus taught us that we should even be loving our enemies. And of course, there should be no place for anti-Semitism in the Christian church. How on earth could we be those who hate Jewish people when not only are we called to love others, but we build our lives on a Jewish Messiah and we rely on scriptures that were eyewitness accounts all by Jewish people and the Hebrew scriptures all by Jewish people. Crazy, of course, there's no place for anti-Semitism in the Christian church. However, these posters were another chilling reminder of a growing hostility to the teaching of the Bible in the UK. In 2016, two street preachers were arrested and convicted uh, of a breach of public order offense at Bristol Magistrates Court. The prosecutor claimed that quoting parts of the King James Bible in modern Britain should be considered abusive and is a criminal matter. The prosecutor said this, although the words preached are included, um, in the Bible in 1611, um, they should be considered, uh, this doesn't mean that they're incapable of amounting to a public order offense in 2016. The prosecutor also argued to say to someone that Jesus is the only God is, is not a matter of truth. To the extent that they are saying that the only way to God is through Jesus, that cannot be a truth, argued the prosecutor. Well, they were 
convicted of a breach of order offense, but then that conviction was overturned on appeal uh, when they were acquitted in the Bristol Crown Court in June 2017. How do you stay a faithful witness to Jesus Christ in a hostile world? Why would you want to when it could cause you trouble and difficulty to do so? But even thinking about this, let's be honest and look at ourselves. When was the last time we actually confessed Jesus Christ before non-Christians, let alone a hostile crowd? Do people at work or school or college or in our workplace, do they know that we are Christians? Do you remember Peter's proud boast to Jesus on the night that they walked uh, to the Garden of Gethsemane? Please open your Bibles to page uh, 996. And if you've got a phone, you might want to put it on mute. Right now, put it on mute. No one's looking. Uh, Page 996. Have a look at verse um, 33. Peter replied, Even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. And remember what Jesus said to him, verse 34, Truly I tell you, Jesus answered this, Very night before the cock crows, you will disown me three times. But Peter was confident, wasn't he, that that would never take place. Even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you, he said. And all the other disciples said the same. But when Judas turns up with the guards, uh, they all desert him and flee. And then Matthew places side by side accounts of two people facing hostile questioning. We see a contrast between Jesus and Peter. We see the courageous and faithful witness of Jesus against the threefold denial of Peter. Now last week we considered the confession of Jesus. If you missed it, you can listen to it online. This week we're going to think about the denial of Peter. And I want you to consider with me the pathology of denial. There's at least five steps here. Step one, self-reliance. Self-reliance instead of prayerful God-dependence. Do you remember after the proud boasts of, of Peter, Jesus urged him in the Garden of Gethsemane, you can see it there in uh, verse uh, 41, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Note the contrast. Three times... Jesus gave himself to earnest prayer. And then before an angry and hostile crowd, he made a clear confession. Three times, Peter ended up sleeping instead of praying. Instead of looking to God to give him strength and and courage, he went into this time of crisis unprepared And he was depending on his own resources. And so what was the result? Three times he denies Jesus. First step, self-reliance. Second step, 
Put some distance between yourself and Jesus. Notice where Peter is. Look at verse 57. Those who had arrested Jesus took him to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the teachers of the law and the elders had assembled. But Peter followed him at a distance, right up to the courtyard of the high priest. He entered and sat down with the guards to see the outcome. All the disciples fled. Perhaps Peter shows some courage to follow the arresting group to the high priest's house. But he chose to follow Jesus at a distance. And that foreshadowed his denial of Jesus. See, before Matthew puts the spotlight on the trial of Jesus, we see Peter making his way into the courtyard of the high priest and sitting down with the, the guards, the captors. He just wanted to fit in. He doesn't want to get noticed. He, he doesn't want to stand out. The peer pressure that teenagers feel does not go away when we, come, when we become adults, does it? We all have a huge desire just to fit in, to be with the majority. As a church, we can succumb to the peer pressure of society by being a church that just says the positive things that the culture likes to hear, but never speaking on the biblical teaching that goes contrary to the culture. We can do this in our own lives. At, at high school, you might be a Christian, but just choose never to let anyone know about it. Or if they do find out, make sure that they know you're not one of those loony types of Christians. You know, one of those who goes to the Scripture Union. I mean, none of the cool kids go to Scripture Union. You wouldn't be seen dead there. And you just keep your distance. Or maybe at work, perhaps you've never invited people to a carol service uh, you've never asked the summer series question. You, you've never mentioned when people say, how was your weekend? You've never said, oh, I, I had a great time going to church on Sunday. Because, well, you just, you, you know, you don't want it to go down badly. You, you don't want to be judged. Uh, you, you, want to, you want to fit in. And we effectively put some distance between ourselves and Jesus. And I wonder, is that true of any people here today? You've not become baptized because you're just keeping your distance. You don't want to publicly confess that you're trusting Christ. You've not become a member because, you, well, you, you know, I like going, but I don't really want to identify with this church that keeps talking about Jesus so much. You're sort of following from a distance. Now, if that is true of you today, I would say the alarm bells should be ringing. Because for Peter, it was one of the steps towards denial. Step three, act confused and play dumb. See, while Jesus was being interrogated by the high priest, Peter was challenged by... A servant girl. I think we're meant to see the contrast. Verse 69. You also 
were with Jesus of Galilee, she said. Now this question was being overheard by others in the courtyard, even perhaps by some of the of the guards. And so startled by this challenge, he decides to play dumb and act confused. Verse 70, he denied it before them all. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. And notice, he further increases his distance away from Jesus. Verse 71, then he went out to the gateway. But his strategy does not work. Verse 71, where another servant girl saw him and said to the people there, this fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. Step four, public denial. Verse 72, he denied it again with an oath. I don't know the man. You can almost hear the panic, can't you? He's so desperate to deny any links with Jesus. He can't even bring himself to use the name of Jesus. The, the, the man, I don't know the man. Step five, go offensive. Verse 73. After a while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, Surely you are one of them. Your accent gives you away. Then he began to call down curses. And he swore to them, I don't know the man. Now, this is the stage of full panic, of someone who is frightened for his life. This is the pathology of denial. Now, what underlies all of this? At this point in Peter's life, he has not grasped the uniqueness of who Jesus is. He's got a bit of it, but not all of it. He had confessed that Jesus was the, 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 the Messiah King that was promised in their Hebrew scriptures. But he never properly understood that his mission was first to suffer and die upon a cross. As Jesus was being despised, spat upon, punched in mockery, Peter just didn't have the category to kind of Understand that this was all part of God's plan to rescue sinners like him and like you and like me. We read in Isaiah 50 today that uh, those scriptures written 700 years before that speak of this servant who attentively listens to what God has to say and speaks the word of God in a way that refreshes others, that he is, he is willing to be fully obedient to the Father. Even when the Father calls him to suffer, he offers his back to be struck. He offers his face to be spat at, his beard to be pulled out. This was all prophesied in the scriptures that this must happen. Well, Peter just didn't have a category for a suffering Jesus. He got the idea of a glorious king who would never be defeated, who would bring in an everlasting kingdom. He was happy to identify with Jesus on that basis. When Jesus looked like the winner, he was in. When Jesus looked like a loser... Not so much. Not at this point of apparent weakness, mockery, and shame. He didn't want to identify with Jesus like that. He desperately wanted to avoid any personal suffering. And so he did all that he could to put some distance between himself and Jesus, calling down oaths and swearing, I don't, I don't know the man. 
And so the question is, what do we really believe about Jesus? Not just what are we willing to sing about in church, but what do we really believe about Jesus when we're out there and we're the only Christian in the room? See, for many today, Jesus just seems irrelevant. To others, a loser. Some would say, well, great ideals, but he died too young. For many, he's just a swear word, someone insignificant to mock in casual speech. That's the world out there, isn't it? Will we be willing to be faithful witnesses to Jesus? Will we be willing to even suffer as a Christian? I suggest we will only do that when we truly believe that he is who he claimed to be, when we see his total uniqueness, that he is the Christ, that he is the Son of God, who came in fulfillment to the scriptures. He came according to the divine plan of salvation and was crucified in weakness to bear our sins. And then he was raised from the dead in power. And that he ascended into heaven as the Son of Man and we one day return in glory to judge the living and the dead and to set up his everlasting kingdom. Is that the Jesus you believe in? Only if you have full confidence that he is who he claims to be will you have the courage to stand for him in a hostile world. Jesus equipped his disciples before he sent them out to preach the kingdom uh, back in chapter 10. He, he, he said this to them, do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than sparrows. Whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. Well, what about us? Are we confessors or deniers? Do we acknowledge Jesus before others? Or do we distance ourselves, play dumb, disown him? Now, if we, in weakness and fear in the past, we have disowned him, what does this passage have to say to us about that situation? Well, let me finish with a brief second point. Because following the pathology of denial, we see here the prophecy of grace. Look at verse 75. Immediately a cock crowed. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken before the cock crows, you will disown me three times. And he went outside 
and wept bitterly. I think it is in those tears of a broken heart when confronted with his sin of denial that gives this section hope. He remembered the word of Jesus. What had Jesus told them ahead of time? That he would deny him. Why give him the sound of a cockerel crowing as a time marker of his threefold denial? I think it's an act of grace. Jesus knew of his denial. But he's already given them an amazing promise of restoration. Remember, as they left the upper room where they'd shared bread and wine, he told them that his, that his body would be broken for them, his blood poured out would be the blood of a new covenant which would secure their forgiveness. And we're going to come to the table uh, after I finish preaching this morning. He shared bread and wine with them. He told them how he was going to die to secure the forgiveness. And then as they walked to the Garden of Gethsemane, he says this to them. This very night you will all fall away on account of me. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. He was going to the cross because of our unfaithfulness and our sin. And he would die and be buried. But he would rise. He would walk out of the tomb. And here's the beautiful thing. He's already told them, I will go ahead of you to Galilee where he's going to gather his disciples, his scattered disciples, going to be gathered together under his leadership and care once more. If Peter recalled the prediction of his denial, he could also cling to the precious promise of gracious regathering. What boss? What a boss. You ever had a boss like this? Despite such terrible failure of loyalty, he gives this amazing promise of grace and restoration. I will go ahead of you. There is forgiveness for our failure. There is an invitation to acknowledge him as Savior and Lord through true repentance and faith. And of course, when you grasp such loving grace, you want to stand with Jesus and acknowledge him before others because what an amazing person. Take the world from me, but give me Jesus. What a savior. How precious it is to grasp that he died in my place and he rose as the victorious king and he's returning again in full glory and on that day we will not look foolish for acknowledging him today let's pray